Hi, I'm Siobhan Hunt and this is Kindling Conversation, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. Just a quick note before we get into the next episode. If you haven't already, I'd love you to rate and review Kindling Conversation wherever you get your podcasts, or if you enjoy the episode, share it with your friends. All right, thank you, and on with the show. Today's helpline is a special for those who are bringing their second or third or first baby home. It's not like... Once you've done it the first time, it's all smooth sailing. And I know I was a big hot mess when I brought my son home. But then I didn't have Chris Minogue to speak to, and you do. So if you have a question regarding bringing your baby home, make sure you give us a call on 1-800-KIDS-RADIO or jump onto Facebook and ask your question. Today's Kindling Helpline is all about things pregnancy and birth, not just because this is, of course, Chris's area of expertise, but because Kindling Kids Radio has partnered with Babyology for the Babyology Baby Shower in Melbourne on Sunday, April 22nd. Chris will be one of the keynote speakers giving tips and guidance for those first few weeks with the amazing Rachel Coops as MC, plus there are more guests. And the thing about the Babyology Baby Shower is that it's perfect if it's your first time or maybe if you need a refresher for the second time. As I mentioned, just because you've done it once doesn't mean you know what's going to go the next time. Or perhaps you might want to reconnect with your mama tribe as well. There'll be lots of yummy food, beautiful prizes and goodie bags, which I like the sound of, for every guest with gifts and treats just for mum. No sharing, it's just for you. And we'll pop a link in the comments on the Facebook Live. So if you're listening via the podcast or you're listening live on the radio, you just search for Kindling Kids Radio on Facebook and you will find that link. Hello, Chris. Hi. It's a bit exciting that you're going to be in Melbourne for that. I know. It sounds very good. (laughs) Yes. So if you have a question for Chris, just give us a call now. It's 1-800-KIDS-RADIO. That's 1-800-543-772. The text number is 0437-665-200. Or you can leave your question in the comment section below if you're watching this on Facebook Live. First up, we have a question from Rachel in Melbourne. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Hi, Siobhan. Hi, Chris. I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good, Good thank you. So you are in the glorious position of having a toddler who is two and a newborn who's only five weeks. I do. That is (laughs) hectic. (laughs) Yes. Juggling in our household at the moment. (laughs) I can imagine. Yes. And my my question is, um, I suppose I get nervous when my two-year-old goes to touch the newborn, the five-week-old baby. I'm I'm worried that he might get a whack on the head or a poke in the eye or have a toy thrown at him. But at the same time, I don't want my toddler to get anxious about going to the baby and I don't want to affect their bonding. So I've been trying to do lots of gentle touching and uh, positive reinforcement and I just want to check that I'm on the right track. You are on the right track, but there's some things we can do to aid the whole thing. So one thing is that babies themselves aren't as fragile as we think. So mm. the miscellaneous truck that's going to hit his head at some stage in the first year, you know, <laughs> it'll be okay. So what you, you're, you're along the right lines in that you're thinking you want to, to bring them together at, and be able to be left or be in a room together. So mm. the first thing I would do is take the curiosity out of the two-year-old and put your five-week on the floor yeah. and lay beside him, like a little distance away from him, 
and then ask the two-year-old about the baby's feet and the baby's hands and wears his hair and touch his eyes, not touch his eyes, touch his ears, (laughs) and actually take the curiosity out of the baby. Because I think we spend lots of time saying no, don't and touch in gentle ways. And the the two-year-old goes, well, what is it? So Mm. I think that's the first thing is when you have the chance, get on the floor with them and even engage your two-year-old and leave the baby not far away from you so that if anything happens, it's possibly an accident, accidentally dropped something, accidentally, you know, touched him or whatever the thing is that feels not in the norm. So I'd just be around. And then the second thing I would do is create a safe space for the baby. So you might have a porticot. And Mm -hmm. you might put it in the corner of the room so that if you need to go to the bathroom or you need to go into the kitchen, it's out of the sight line of the children. You can put the baby in the porticot and you know he's safe. Okay. So I think you'll find that as the baby becomes more resilient and a little bit more robust, you'll be more at ease about where it is that the baby fits into the family. So the baby's Mm -hmm. getting close to the age where you put him down on a mat with maybe his gym over him, with him playing. And in that case, what happens is most two-year-olds want to get under the gym with them because when the baby's under the gym, everyone goes, oh, isn't it cute? And so the two-year-old thinks, (laughs) yeah, I need to get in there too. So if... It's not intentional. I would just move the baby over a little bit and let them have a play under there. And then other times you say, well, this is the baby's turn to play under there and you can have a turn later. So whereas a lot of people go, no, get out of there. I actually just move the baby over and say, oh, can you play with him for a little bit under that gym? But just tell Mm -hmm. mummy if you need to move. So the more you can normalize the behavior the better that he, that relationship will grow, okay? And okay. and look at a lot of the things that he does as un, unintentional. They're accidental. Okay, great. Thank you, Chris. That's a pleasure. That <laughs> Good luck, Rachel. Thanks, Siobhan. See you later. Bye-bye. You're listening to a very special Kindling Helpline today with Mother Craftsman, Chris Minogue. We are talking about bringing baby home. And as I mentioned earlier when I brought my second child home, I... <laughs> had no idea. And sometimes I tell Chris how I used to get them to sleep and she just laughs at me. Yeah. I wish you, I wish I'd had um wish I'd had you then. But actually before we get to the next one, can I just say the one thing that I didn't have with my daughter that was the bomb when I had my second child and I can't believe I never used it with the first was a bouncer. Yeah. I used the bouncer so much and I just the things you're learning. The thing well, the things I learned and you know the weirdest thing about it was like, oh this is how you have a shower. Yeah. You put them put in the bouncer me. and either take them into the sh- shower or you put them yeah. at the doorway for Yeah, and I just put them in the bouncer and had a shower. How yeah, ridiculous. Even Why the noise of the that? shower is very soothing to a baby. That's awesome. Anyway, yeah. sorry, I just had to share that in case <laughs> you've never had that. Uh, this question comes from Karishma. Yep. She says, hi there. Is it normal for a four-week-old to be awake and unsettled between feed, bath, feed until midnight. Yes, Karishma, it is very common for a four-week-old to still be unsettled in that early evening bit between six and seven o'clock at night and say 10 to 12 o'clock at night. Um, They often cluster feed, but that feed, bath, feed rhythm that you've put into place will start working, but it doesn't normally start working till around six weeks. So although you're doing it, we wouldn't expect it to necessarily work. And I would expect that the baby would have that unsettled period in that sort 
sort of early evening and then settles down. It will get shorter as they get closer to six weeks and that feed bath feed I usually start at six weeks and then it starts to work in helping the baby to lengthen their sleep. Okay, good luck with that, Krishma. And our next question comes from Sally. Hmm, I wonder which Sally, Sally this dates. could be. What <laughs> be. baby clothes and essentials do I need for the first few months? She's had two. She's got two questions here. Yeah. Um, and also, how many times does a newborn feed in an average day, night, and how long is each breastfeed? Bub is due in early May. And I made that joke because Sally here at work is pregnant, pregnant. and expecting in May. <laughs> yeah. But she's allowed to ask questions too. She is. So the first thing I'd start with is how many feeds. So a baby in the very early weeks of coming home, they will feed anywhere from two and a half hours to four hours from the previous feed. So you're getting anywhere between six and 10 feeds in 24 hours. And it's a period of time where our baby leads. So our baby's feed predicts when the next feed will be. So if I fed at nine o'clock and the baby's asleep by 10, then that baby could feed anywhere between 11.30 and 1.00. Okay, so the baby's leading and we feed around the clock. So they have as many feeds at night as they have in the day. So we're in this period where we're continuously, you will remember, continuously <laughs> day and night you're feeding as often as and, and frequently as you do. So I think once your mindset hits that mark that that's what's going to happen, we cope much better than the expectation that a baby's going to feed every four hours and sleep endlessly in between because the reality of that doesn't happen. Before so, you move on to the clothes, I know yeah. that um, sometimes people get com- don't understand what it means to demand feed a baby. So, oh yeah, that's a that's a different. So there's two versions of demand feed. One is every time the baby makes a sound, it means the baby needs a feed, but that's not understanding baby cue signs properly. So that baby might get fed every hour and a half to two and a half to three and a half to four and a half hours. Whereas what we're talking about is reasonable behaviour, that if you fed well, a baby should be able to last about two and a half hours to four hours from the beginning of the previous feed, which is a nice little pattern to have in your head when bringing a new baby home. The length of the feeds could be anything from 20 minutes through to an hour. Okay, so if it was your second baby, it might be shorter. If it's your first baby, it might be a bit longer. So your body and your baby, the, th- the two of you need to get into sync, as you would remember. And um, those feeds can really vary. Um, as long as you're offering um, a full feed, whether it be bottle or breast, that's the main thing at this point, that we fully feed and then they have a sleep in these very early weeks of bringing a baby home. And given that I've made the assumption this is a Sally we know and it's yes. her first baby to bring home, <laughs> Um, do you have any advice for setting out your house or apartment for that kind of feeding? Like, yeah, where to feed. Yes. So some people will say to me, I'm just feeding in the nursery. They've bought the beautiful, glorious nursing chair. But the reality is you could be up for an hour every time. So I think you need to sit somewhere really comfortable. I need You need to take the cues from the nursing staff that help you establish feeding. They'll help you get into a good position for feeding the baby and then you need to mimic that at home. So it might be a little bit different if you're recovering from a Caesar. You might have to sit differently um, until your pain is at a better level. Um, but generally speaking, you can sit anywhere to feed as long as you've got a nice sort of upright Mm. approach to the baby. Some people will feed in bed, um, but in the very early weeks, it's 
probably good to also sit up and feed the baby well because you'll get a longer sleep pattern. Okay, so for everyone it'll be a little bit different, but generally speaking, you need to be in a comfortable position because you're there for about an hour. Yep, that's when we ended up buying a chair because yeah. I was just sitting there for so long. Yeah, you even got a comfy chair then, didn't yes, you? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> supportive on my back. Yeah. Um, so back clothing? to the... Yes. So for clothing, um, I usually get... So this is coming into winter. This is a May baby. So I my number is um, six to eight. So six to eight of maybe singlets or six to eight of um, all-in-one suits. So for a May baby, I'd have some singlets to keep the baby nice and warm. Um, And then I'd have some all-in-one suits. That's the long sleeve and the long-legged suits. And I'd have about six to eight. And look, everywhere you go to shop, it's a different size. Right. I was just about to ask about sizes. So I just stick with newborn. I'd have a collection for newborn and then I'd have a little collection for the three-month-olds and wait to see when your baby's born how big they are. So as long as you've got six to eight um, of those two age ranges, you'll be fine. This is a winter baby, so she might need another cardigan. Uh, We'll get knitting for you, Sally. Um, (laughs) She'll need a cardigan and maybe a hat to take the baby out with um, and six to eight wraps to wrap the baby to help the baby sleep so that's the very essentials that's staying at home and we're okay it's nothing quite as cute as a little baby beanie yeah oh i love them (laughs) uh this question comes from amal i've been given a bassinet to go in the bed with me and my partner for our newborn are they really safe it does have a pretty sturdy frame or am i better off with them in the cot beside the bed we live in a studio apartment so i'm trying to figure out the best way to sleep all three of us and still have some floor space okay so a bassinet the good thing about a bassinet is the smaller the environment with a newborn generally the better they sleep so uh, it says it goes in the bed with you so I'm not sure which bassinet that would be because I haven't seen one that's that's actually made to go in a bed so mainly they go beside a bed so you can have a co-sleeper which attaches to the bed and you can have and there's a really good co-sleeper size that is a small cot Um, so have a look around for a co-sleeper but I haven't actually seen one that goes that's actually made for going into a bed so I'm a bit unsure about which one she may be thinking of there but a bassinet's good for a newborn because it's a small environment and keeps them warm and then later on moving to a cot when the baby grows out of the bassinet that you've chosen. There's a, there's a market in that, I reckon. Yeah. It's for small places. Yeah, that's right. And and she says here she's been given a bassinet. So my advice to that would be always put a new mattress into a bassinet that's borrowed because that previous baby may have, you know, vomited on that mass, uh, that mattress and they may have even, you know, wet through and leaked through. So if, you've, uh, if you're borrowing a bassinet or a cot, always buy a new mattress that fits the cot properly. Yep. All right. Good luck with that, Amal. This is Kindling Helpline on Kindling Conversation with Mothercraft Nurse Chris Minogue. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Today is a special um, helpline where we're taking questions specifically about pregnancy and newborn. So this, and it doesn't have to be your first. It could be your second or your third. God knows by the time my second came around, I'd forgotten everything from the first. And those first few weeks can feel overwhelming regardless which child it is. And so Chris is here to help you out. She also has a book called Bringing Baby Home, where she's got tips for the first weeks and months of a baby's life. But if you'd like to ask your questions now, you can call us on 1-800-KIDS-RADIO or you can pop your question underneath the Facebook Live, which um, you just 
Search for us on Facebook. I should also mention, in case you're interested, that Chris is going to be at a very special baby shower that Kindling Kids Radio are hosting along with Babyology. Um, we're partnering with them, I should say, on Mel- in Melbourne on the Sunday, the April the 22nd. Chris is one of the keynote speakers and the gorgeous Rachel Coops is the MC. So there's lots of great things going along with that. So if you're in Melbourne and you think you might like to have a baby <laughs> shower, there's a gift bag and everything. It's very exciting with stuff all just for you. Um, and I'm just finding the next question which comes from Antonella. Antonella is expecting her first baby and feeling overwhelmed with anxiety. Understand that. I'm due in just under 10 weeks, and to be frank, I'm beginning to freak out in capitals. (laughs) Totally get it. This is my first baby, and both my sisters had a really tough time with their firsts. Both ended up being long labours. One was 58 hours. Holy moly. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) And both had to be emergency C-sections by the end of it. Do you have any tips on preparing myself for those scenarios? I'm trying to approach it bravely, but the idea of everything going wrong just sends me into a panic spiral. Any advice you can give would be so helpful. I just keep working myself up. How do I prepare? Oh, Antonella, I oh. feel for you. I was terrified for my labour. I think, and I look, I that think me. that lots of people would go through periods where they think, whoa, what's going to happen next? And I think the thing about this is it's easy for people to say not to get overwhelmed about it, but you've got two experiences of your sisters where it hasn't gone to the way that they've planned it. I think you need to get someone that you really trust to talk to. So whether that's you're through the midwives clinic and so it's that particular midwife, uh, whether it's an obstetrician, you start talking to the obstetrician. And there's some great organisations that really help out with this, like Gidget, um, who talk to mums about what to expect and what might happen after a baby's born. So the first thing is to take a little breath, to write down what's overwhelming you and to get small pieces of information that you can digest then to move on. Okay, so in this case, because you haven't had the baby and it's about the delivery, I'd be talking to the midwife or I'd be talking to the obstetrician and letting them help you go through all of those concerns. And it's okay to ask the questions. So I think that you have two valid questions here about your sisters and you may want to sit down and say, well, this is what happened to them. How can we prevent that for me? Or how can I use other strategies to get through those windows? So I think this, you've got 10 weeks. So finding that someone you can talk to, I think is going to help you out here. And speaking as someone who has had two babies and was terrified each time before my labours, what Chris is talking about with the midwives, I went through a group practice, so I knew my midwives quite well, but um, they're there just for you. They only care about you. I mean, they they care about the baby, of course, but they're there to make sure that you have a a good experience birthing your child. Yeah, that's right. And also to prepare you if it's not going, you know, so they're going to, it's good to talk about these things. Don't think that everyone's sitting there and breathing through for 12 hours and delivering a baby. I think it's good to say, this is what happened to my sisters and it, it is concerning to me. And I think then they can also answer that back honestly to you. Yeah, and good luck, Antonella. Yeah. Please, hopefully you'll get in touch after yeah. you have your baby. Because <laughs> uh, as scary it is, as it is, 
there is nothing like holding that new baby in your yeah. arms. And it's a cute, cute I thing. had no idea I would be so in love with my child. Even through that terror, I wasn't thinking about that at all. So just if you can remember that there is something so delightful waiting for you at the end of all of that, I wish I had have known beforehand. It sounds silly, but it did yeah. in the end. I've had I was lots like, of babies oh. beforehand. Yes, gets those um, hormones, hormones going. going. <laughs> <laughs> um, our next question is from Eleanor. She says, I've brought my third bub home in the last month and honestly, I'm at a loss. I breastfed my first two without a trouble, but the third is such a struggle. She won't latch on at all and I'm left feeding her from a bottle, uh-huh. which she has no trouble with, and spending all hours of the day expressing. <laughs> I feel so defeated by it. Should I keep trying with the boob? Look, I think it's very individual for everyone. So I think that's the first thing that could be said. But you fed two babies successfully. So I wonder whether this is also about the juggle. You know, you've got two other little ones. You've got a little baby that needs your time and attention to be able to feed. And it's about who needs what from you and how. In the physical sense of the attachment and getting the baby to feed, I think contacting um, your local area um, early childhood nurse and, and maybe going to a breastfeeding clinic is really going to help you to be able to get off this expressing and get on to attachment of the baby and not knowing the details of why she's not feeding. I mean, there's a gamut of things that I could tell you to do, but I think in this case, a couple of visits to either the breastfeeding clinic or the early childhood centre may get her back on track for breastfeeding because you probably realise that in the long term, the feeding gets easier and and quicker and it would work with three children. But expressing and feeding a bottle, that takes up a lot of time. And if we can get those by reducing those expressing and try to get her on the breast, and I don't know if they've suggested a nipple shield, I'm not even sure if that would be appropriate, but let's get some help for you through the clinic and the breastfeeding um, uh, clinics that are around in nearly every suburb and see if they can help you get back on track with your breastfeeding. And Eleanor, I should add as well that um, it's great to have your comment, but if you want specific instructions from Chris, the best yep. thing is to call because then, then Chris I can, can ask talk to you. a few more questions. Yeah, yeah, so see how you go with that advice. And if you need to call us next week, please do. Please call back and we can I can give you some more specific information about where you're at. Same bat time, same bat channel. Yeah, we'll right. all be here. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that, Eleanor. The next one comes from Selena. She says, I'm an older first-time mum, geriatric. So my doctors, they love that term for older mums. I'm really excited about being a mum, but I'm also a bit petrified. I'm single by choice and always felt like motherhood was something I wanted, but the right partner never cropped up. So I'm doing this solo. Do you have any advice for the first few weeks? Everyone keeps telling me it's going to be a huge shock. How can I prepare so I don't get to the first night where it's just the two of us and I am terrified? Okay, so the first thing, Selena, is um, in the work that I do in the community, I have lots and lots of single parents who have chosen to become single parents. So I think the first thing is you're not alone. So there is a network of people out there that are doing this in on their own. The second thing I'd say is in those very early weeks of bringing the baby home, see where your support lies. So has your mum or your family members got time to give to you over those really early weeks, the first two, three weeks? So if everyone's saying to you, oh, I want to help, 
but they're not saying anything else, then maybe make a list of the things that you actually would need. So maybe someone to pick up some shopping for you, someone who might bring dinners in for the first week. These are actually the things that overwhelm you. So it's not just the baby care, but it's all those little peripheral things that need to get done at home. So maybe if um, a family member could drop in and collect all the washing and take it and bring it back, these things are going to help. I think the hardest time is at night because generally babies are unsettled at night in the very early weeks. You can get moments of sheer bliss and joy where they sleep, but you can have moments where you're up for a few hours and rocking and patting. Um, So if anybody would like to stay, maybe they could stay overnight because things always look brighter in the day, in the, the, you know, daylight. Um, And be kind to yourself. So the other one is to be really kind with yourself and say, actually, I just need to take a break and have a sleep in the day um, and refresh yourself to be able to do that constant of having a baby. Now, my last piece of advice is don't get overwhelmed with lots of baby information. Just take really small pieces of information and just stick with that and get really good at that and then build on it. So if you're taking information from everyone around you, from all the books that are stacked up and from the internet, then you're just going to get very overwhelmed. Find a trusted source of information and keep going back to that. So maybe go and see your early childhood centre in your area before you've had the baby and say to them, you know, I'm doing this on my own. What am I going to expect in the first few weeks? They will probably come out pretty soon and do a visit and then follow you up across the weeks. So try not to feel so overwhelmed and so alone. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be a beautiful journey. And, And I think just take it really slowly. Line up as I call it, line up all the ducks before you go. So get everybody, write a list of all the things you think you're going to need and ask people to help you out. And if you liked Chris's advice, remember she does have a book. Ring us back. Well, yeah, I'm your book. Oh, right, okay. I've got a book. (laughs) Bringing Baby Home. So trusted source, you've heard what Chris has to say, you understand. And that that to me is about finding a trusted source Source. is someone who resonates Mm. with you, who you can listen to and go, yep, I trust them. And not to push the book, but the book would be good for you because it's in small pieces of information. You can just read a tiny little section. You don't have to read the whole book. So it's called Bringing Baby Home. And if you're based in Sydney, then you can call her. Yeah. I'm just joking. (laughs) Anyway, you can say I'm up to page 56. (laughs) Or call us back next week. This is Kindling Helpline on Kindling Conversation. It is a special helpline about bringing baby home, which is handy because that's also the name of Chris's book. (laughs) But that is often the most challenging time for parents, whether it's their first, second or third baby. So we're taking questions on that. And this, unfortunately, we've only got time for one more question. We will be back next week taking all sorts of questions. So this is from Patty. Do you have any advice on feeding twins? Hubby and I brought home our twins a month, I think maybe a month ago. Both have incredibly different feeding times and I'm not getting any Any sleep. sleep. (laughs) Plus one is such a greedy guts and the other just not interested at all. It's not just that I'm having to constantly rotate them so that I don't get backed up, but also I'm worried that the one who isn't interested just isn't getting enough food. Should I try to feed them separately and just become like a milk factory 24-7 or push through with trying to get them both at the same time? Hubby is still home for another few weeks, so is there something he can be doing to help? He feels a bit useless with it all. Oh, Paddy. First thing is, if you could ring next week, we could give you some great advice, but I'll give you my basics. I do a lot of care um, and help and support and advice with twins. So there's a formula and it works. 
But in this case, not knowing your background, I'm not sure how prim they are and their size, the general rule is that we would try and feed them together because it's the only way you're going to cut down on the level of work that you're doing and you're probably at this rate not getting enough rest to get a good system going. So it sounds like they're a month old. So I think at the minimum they should be able to go at least three hours in the day between feeds. So you might have to juggle one baby up to the three hours and you might have to wake one as well. Now I'm going to give you my piece of advice. The idea is to get to to feeding them together. There's another thing called the feeding window that I use. So say you're very, you know, baby who wants to feed a lot can get to three hours, but then you've got your sleepy baby. So you get to 10 o'clock and it's been three hours and you feed that hungry baby first. And then straight after you've fed her, you pick the second baby up and feed her straight after. So you're feeding in the same window. You're not letting the gap get too far apart. So if you're fed at 7 in the morning and baby A is up at 10 in the morning, you can feed baby A and then you have to feed the second baby straight after. So it'll still take an hour, but you've devoted the time to the first baby and the second baby. That'll give you confidence that they're feeding better. So one's actually gone three hours, one's gone three and a half, but you don't let the gap get any wider than that because otherwise you're going to be feeding chaotically all through the day and the night. And then eventually what we'll do is bring them together. So usually the sleepy baby wakes up somewhere between three weeks and six weeks. So you're getting closer to that time frame where they're going to wake up together and you'll be able to feed them together. But if you can give us a call, I can give you a lot more help. All right, Patty. Well, good luck with that. And as Chris said, call us next week if you have more questions. Thank you, everyone, for the questions that you've put up today or called in or left a message. Chris, thank you so much for your time today. It's a pleasure. So um, as we mentioned, Chris will be back next week. There is, of course, the Kindling Conversation podcast where you'll find lots more helplines where Chris may have answered one of the questions that you may have had today that we didn't get to, or you might just want to go through it and see the other advice that she has given. But um, if if you'd like to reach out during the week, you can text us on 0437 or email conversation at kindling.com.au. Hi, we're the Beanies. Get your child off screens and into their imagination as we explore how bubbles are made. What's in a sneeze? Achoo! And what's with the weather today? Professor Know-It-All knows. Hello, beanies. Hello. The The Beanies. A podcast just for kids. Subscribe now on iTunes or listen anytime on the Kindling app.